0: you called to contend. You're called to fight a spiritual battle. It's a mandate for Christians. Here we are called to contend. Some of you might want to object and say, I don't think so. I don't think that's a good idea. It's a bad idea. Um, perhaps you're the kind of person who's thinking or you're at a place in your mindset where you don't just outright object, but you certainly have a question. You have doubt and you say, I, I don't know if this is a good idea. I'm not so sure this is a good idea. It's a little bit more of a humble kind of response. Uncertainty, or maybe you're the kind of person or you are in your thinking uh, responding to a call to contend or a call to spiritual battle um, with worry. Probably a lot of you would fall into that category. Probably all of us at some time. Working, out, working it out in your mind. If I contend for the faith, if I fight for the genuineness of the gospel, it's going to be bad. It's going to lead to conflicts. You, you can't have contending separated from conflict. And so if you're going to contend with... A professing Christian who isn't a professing Christian. You're going to contend on that kind of level with a friend or a family member or on a broader scale you think, you know what, this is going to be dangerous. For some, it's physically dangerous in some places at some times. Or maybe it's not physically dangerous, it's just dangerous. There's a lot at risk. And with these kinds of um, questions kind of responses, I want us to read the first two verses. Because I think the first two verses actually help address some of these kinds of issues. And so if we read the first two verses, remember the context is, he knows he's going to call Christians like you and like me to contend. And so he's not just giving a general introduction, it's a purposeful introduction. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called... Beloved in God, the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. A pretty general introduction, but like no other introduction in the things it specifies. Pretty general, but not altogether general. There's definitely an emphasis on certain words, certain ideas, certain great realities. In fact, they're emphasized here in a way that they're not emphasized in other books of the Bible. They're extraordinarily emphasized. And so what I would like us to do this morning is focus on those two verses and the big ideas and the significance of those verses as it would relate to motivating us. Jude is a motivational speaker, okay? Not in the typical sense. He's calling Christians like us to contend, to fight, but he realizes this is going to be all kinds of, it's going to meet all different kinds of responses. Fear, doubt, objection. And so, even in the words chosen, it should motivate us. So, if you'd like an outline this morning, three motivations for contending ...for the gospel, okay? Three motivations for contending. I know there are more than three. We're just going to look at three because every sermon is supposed to have three points. Um, I love to break that rule as much as I can, but there are three main motivators here we're going to look at. So whether you're a doubter, you're an objector, you're afraid, I think we're going to find some some encouragement here in these in these verses that help us to kind of set it straight so that we're motivated to do our part as Christians, as a church to contend for the genuineness, for the preservation, for the authenticity of the gospel. So that's kind of where we're headed. The first motivator for contending, let's call it the lordship of Jesus. The lordship or the kingship or the sovereignty or the... Those are probably enough. Um, The mastery of Jesus. And we see this... In verse 1 where Jude says a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. Jude introduces himself in an interesting way, more interesting than you probably realize. We'll get to that. But he does acknowledge from the very beginning that his authority comes not from himself, right? But he's a servant of Jesus in calling Christians to contend. And so right away, the first motivator is the lordship of Jesus, It would be be a foul. It would be a a, a wrong way of thinking for these Christians and for these Christians, for us Christians, to say, I object. I'm not going to contend. Who does Jude think he is anyway? From the very beginning, he realizes he needs to say, I'm doing what I'm doing. I'm going to say what I'm going to say because I'm a servant of Jesus. And it would only make sense that Jesus, who was the only person who ever lived the gospel, okay? That Jesus would want the gospel to be as it really is. Jesus came here and accomplished something. He came here and did everything necessary to bring reconciliation between sinners and God. And so what does Jesus want? Well, clearly Jesus would want the truth to be told about it. For, for the benefit of those who would hear, for His own fame's sake, because He and He alone has the name that's above every name, He would want this. He's the sovereign. He's the Lord. He's the victor. And so, contend or don't contend, I don't really know if that's a good idea. If we're talking about the work of Jesus and rightly describing what He's done, and then the benefits of what He's done, that's a motivator. Remember who Jesus is. Remember what he did. We want people to tell lies about him. We want people to tell lies about what he did. We know he wouldn't want that. We're Christians. We wouldn't want that either. It's pretty straightforward, pretty easy, but boy, I wish I could remember that. I wish I could constantly keep in mind the the lordship of Jesus, that, that he's the master and he's in charge and he provided something extraordinarily good. I would be much more prone, when need be, to contend. You're talking about the Lord Jesus. Excuse me, I have to interrupt you. I don't care who you are. I know you don't even come close to ranking with Him and what He did. Pardon me, but... (laughs) It's pretty simple, but it's super helpful... It would really help me in my life if I kept that in mind, if we, I remembered who we're talking about. Let's think in terms of practicality here. We hear people talk about Jesus all the time. It's amazing how frequently people who don't like Jesus talk about Him. I mean, you don't even have to, you don't even have to go there But remember the book of Jude is actually talking about within the ranks, professing Christians. They've snuck in. We've got to contend with them. So when someone says, Jesus came here to show us the way to heaven. Let it go or not. Well, I might at least... Say, well, what do you mean by that? Yeah, he showed us the way, all right. <laughs> You've heard it said, but I say to you. What does he do? If anything, he just ratchets it up. Yeah, he showed us the way to heaven, all right. Perfection, perfect obedience, which means that that we don't have it, so we, we can't follow him and get our way to heaven. We can follow him and see that we're not going to make it so that we need him to do it for us. Did Jesus come here to transform the culture? Is that really what the gospel is? Is that really what the message of Christianity is? Cultural transformation? Now sometimes it happens as a byproduct, but is that really what he proclaimed? Well, yes. If you mean ultimate cultural transformation <laughs> tied to the second coming. But if the gospel is cultural transformation, we ha- we have a major issue. Let's make it a little bit more complicated. Is the message of the Bible God's plan for showing you how to live your life? Total trick question, right? Do we think the Bible shows you how to live your life? Yeah, I definitely think the Bible shows you how to live your life. Is the message of the Bible, first and foremost, it's God's rule book for your living, and you just do what it says and it'll all be good? Uh, I don't think so. And by the way, just as as a... as an aside, but it's relevant. This is what happened a um, hundred or so years ago when churches were meeting opposition from unbelievers and questioning their significance. Okay? When, when, when naturalism really hit anti-supernaturalism, naturalism, and, and now we're questioning supernaturalism, and, and we're, and this has been going on in different phases, but let's say about a hundred years ago, we'll use that as an example. And the church is scrambling and panicking, and oh no, you know, the people are wondering whether or not miracles really happen, and, and if we can't stay relevant and, and talk to the culture around us, and they say that miracles didn't really happen, and Jesus didn't really die, what are we gonna do? We're gonna close our doors, and we're gonna lose all of our influence. So what they did is they started teaching that the Bible is a great, great book of examples. And it shows you how to live your life. It does show you how to live your life. But Christians have never said that that's the message of the Bible. The message of the Bible is that Jesus Christ, virgin conceived... Oh, here we go, supernaturalism. Virgin conceived... Lived a perfect life, right? Did miracles. Went to the cross not as an example, or not only an example, I should say. He went there to atone the wrath of Almighty God, supernatural. And he bodily was raised again from the dead. That's what Christianity has always taught. So I went off on that little aside to make the point that it sounds commendable when we as evangelicals, if that's what we want to call ourselves, Bible believers, want to say, well, the Bible, come to Omaha Bible Church because the Bible will show you how to live your life. That's certainly true on one level, but you're sounding a lot like Protestant liberals of 100 years ago, people who were no longer in abandoning supernaturalism. Because you've got to know this, unbelievers... will always act like unbelievers until they become believers. Rocket signs, I know. (laughs) They won't be impressed with our moral book. The Bible is ultimately about the Lord Jesus Christ and what He's done. Where were we? We're called to contend. So to at least say, maybe kindly, earnestly, as Jude says, to, to at least respond to someone who says the Bible Bible's a great book that shows you how to live your life. I at least want to prod and say, oh, you know, is that, is that what the gospel is? Yeah, but, but what, what if I see how to live my life in the Bible? Because it does show us that, and I absolutely can't do it. We've got to at least go there. Earnestly contending for the faith. It's what we're called to do. And we remember who Jesus is, his lordship, his sovereignty, what he did will keep things in perspective and stay motivated. Now also look at Jude's disposition. We're still on number one, but Jude's disposition is is quite, quite important. When he says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ. You know, if Jude had those doubts, like, oh, do I really want to be the contentious guy? Do I really want to be the the guy who's labeled as the false teacher book guy? Well, I got to know, I'm a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. The original language, doulos. Servant, as in servant master? Yeah, as in servant master. So Jude is a good example in that sense. He's going to talk to Christians about needing to spiritually fight, even if he doesn't feel like it, because he's a servant of Jesus. He used to be enslaved to sin. Jesus is the Redeemer, which is a word for freeing you from such slavery. But Jesus is also a master. Everyone has a master, by the way, whether you realize it or not. You're either enslaved to sin and you do what sin says. Or you have a good master, not a tyrant, a good Lord, a kind Lord, a gracious Lord, whose name is Jesus, and now you're able to do what you're made to do from the beginning, and that is to serve him. But I like it that he specifically says, a servant of Jesus. We like to think we're above servanthood and none of us serve, and you know all this, and the reality is, read Romans chapter 6, we all serve something. Yeah, Jude remembers who Jesus is. It helps him to be a contender. If you remember who Jesus is and how you relate to Jesus, it'll help you to be a contender. We're talking about the fame of the king. The genuine, authentic, kind, gracious, saving king. I don't like to contend. But Jesus, through Jude, tells me to contend. Yes, I'm going to contend. And I might go, Oh, this is going to end badly? I think it was Martin Luther that said, If the Lord told me to eat dung off the street, I would not only do it, but I would know that it is good for me. Um, you know what? We're called to contend. And if that's what the Lord calls us to do, uh, we're going to trust Him for the outcome and for the results. And... Uh, that's what we're going to do, <clears throat> even if we're hesitant. Well, more could be said about that, obviously, but let, let's, let's approach number two. We're not quite there yet. Maybe one more thing. I didn't really want to preach through Jude in kind of the, the rigid kind of same old way. This morning, we're going to talk about who wrote Jude and who he's writing to, and, um, but that stuff is important. And so, um, instead of doing that at the beginning, I'll just do it now, somewhat in passing. Who's Jude? Well, he's a servant of Jesus. Like other brothers of Jesus, they don't label themselves that way, but other people do label them that way. It's kind of interesting. Did you know that Jude is the brother of Jesus? be a great card to drop, wouldn't it? Who do you think you are, you know, calling us to contend? Well, I grew up with Savior of the world. (laughs) And let me tell you, I hated it. (laughs) Right? If anybody Jude knew that Jesus lived the gospel, it would be awful. Um, But James does the same thing. He doesn't label himself that way. Jude doesn't label himself that way either. In fact, he sees himself as a servant because he's not really the brother of Jesus. Because the brother of Jesus would have to be the half-brother of Jesus. Right? Because he's not virgin conceived. He's actually in a different class, different category. Son of Mary, yes. Son of Mary, Joseph would be Jude and James. Different than Jesus. Matthew chapter 13, verse 55 says, Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not this mother, is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? Or Jude. Coming from the super popular name, Judah. Yeah, Jesus had brothers. One of them was named Jude. Jude. Probably our guy, interestingly enough. But that actually shouldn't be the reason you listen to him and our contender. He doesn't even list it. But I at least wanted you to know. He knows what he's talking about. Okay, let's move on. Number two, a second motivator for contending. Number two, the value of the gospel. The value of the gospel. When the introduction says, and it says, look carefully, you'll like this. To those who are, ah, here we go, called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. It's giving a shorthand for the gospel, the gospel's fruit, the gospel's effects, if you will. First of all, when I write to you, let me say what has not been said in an introduction. When I write to you, I'm writing to the called. I'm writing to the beloved of God the Father. And I'm writing to the kept for Jesus Christ. That is extraordinary. That's not normal. And I would suggest to you, and I'm in great company, that he does that sort of thing to remind them about how great the gospel is. The great fruit that comes as a result of the gospel. These things only happen because of what Jesus did. You're to contend for the truth about what Jesus did. And what benefits come to you because of what Jesus did? Gospel benefits. Gospel calling. Gospel keeping. Gospel loving. And you're like, oh yeah! That should motivate me to contend. Because of these great fruits that have come to me. Oh, not only did, did do I... Uh, Do I find myself thankful that they came to me, but I want them to be preserved for other people too? It's calling. Being beloved, being kept. Let's look at each one of those things that come only because of what Jesus did. We're going to contend for what Jesus did, the gospel, the faith, because these things have come to us and we want them to go to other people as well. First of all, he starts with called, which is like, you know, a a 50-pound Dumbbell of a theological word. This is like awesome. It's a big one. It's fantastic. If you don't know about calling in the Bible, you need to. If you're brand new to the Bible, I'm so thankful to introduce you to calling. And to the richness of it. If you're not brand new to the Bible, I'm so thankful to remind you about calling. Because I want you to remember how awesome it is. So that you're motivated to be a contender. Calling in the Bible now. When we think of it normally, just in our English language and the way we think of it, we think of invitation. Oh, God has invited us. It's so much more than that. It's not just invited, something bigger. Now, calling is used different ways in the Bible, based upon context. I've said this many times, I'll keep saying it until... It's my casket, not a baptistry there, Okay? I'm a Bible teacher and I want you to know and when you look at the different contexts context determines meaning you see that sometimes calling is used in a very general sense when Jesus says for example many are called few are chosen that's a very general sense many people are called to believe we tell people we evangelize and Jesus told the truth about himself and many are called few are chosen A much smaller number of people are going to believe. The Apostle Paul is fond of using calling a different way. Could be used either way. But the Apostle Paul uses uses it more in the sense of chosen. When people are called according to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 or Romans chapter 8, they're going to believe. Or they already have believed. It's done, it's sure, it's certain, it's irreversible. It's tractor beam-esque, okay? Once you're called, there is no reversing. You can, you can reverse those thrusters on that Star Wars ship or whatever it is, but you're in the tractor beam, okay? And you're going to be drawn in if you're called by God in that sense. So it's used both ways in the Bible. How's Jude use it? Oh, by the way, the Apostle Paul, I don't want you to just take my word for it. Um, 1 Corinthians one twenty-four, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. He's using it as a, as a synonym for a Christian. Somebody, the Holy Spirit is called. Worked in. Romans chapter 8, verse 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose, that's Holy Spirit, irreversible, tractor beam, nothing-can-stop-it kind of calling. So based upon the passage, you have to decide which one it is. If you like um, categories, people uh, refer to this as general calling and effectual calling, effective calling. The Bible uses both. Based upon our context in Jude and what he's trying to bring, he's trying to bring comfort He's trying to bring encouragement because of the great blessings that are ours as Christians. How do you think Judah's using it? Context determines meaning. It's effectual. It's effectual. I bet you a Jimmy John's that it's effectual. Because he's trying to motivate Christians who might be scared. We're going to get to that. Who need to contend. Christians who might be questioning. No. You know what? Contend because you've been called by God. You're a Christian. Effectually, irreversibly, tractor beamingly. It's a great blessing. The Spirit of God has worked inside of you. Wow, if that's true, I'm willing to do anything and everything. What a great gospel fruit that comes. I'm wanting to contend. Yeah. I want Christian. Here I am. I love it. I love talking about calling. I want Christians to know about calling, it's a security kind of word. Well, that also causes me to want to contend. Because if there is no faith, quite honestly, a once and for all delivered to the saints faith, then calling, schmalling. So let's be motivated by that. Then we move on. The called, and by the way, if you're a grammar person, so he he gives calling and then he gives two participles that that help unpack calling, okay? The beloved reality is the first one, okay? So he's elaborating. Calling is so awesome. And related to calling is, is being loved. It's beloved of God. It says beloved in God the Father. So the calling comes because of that. Beloved of God? I mentioned last week, First John chapter 4, verse 10, not that we've loved God, but that he loved us. Oh, okay. Now, some of you have a Bible that might say sanctified, not beloved. But it actually is the word for where we get our Greek word uh, agape, love. It's, it's love. It's the word for love. You're either beloved or loved would be the right way to translate it. Or you might have a note in your margin of your Bible that says better Greek manuscripts would have agapao, um, beloved, love, just all that to say, uh, that seems to be the idea. Some other translations say sanctified. That's true, you are sanctified um, if you're a Christian. But it seems here the emphasis, if we're really going to be technical and precise, is, is beloved of God. We could talk about the sanctified thing another place, but here it's beloved of God. Now, here's a place where you can honestly say the Bible is hard to translate. A lot of times people say, and we're going to see a few of these, people say, oh, the Bible, you can't trust the Bible, we can't know what the Bible says because, you know, there's just so many different uh, versions, and usually that's a smokescreen from somebody who doesn't know what they're talking about, right? Because you can look at the Greek text and the Hebrew text and the Aramaic text, and uh, for the most part, things are pretty straightforward, Um you know, Peter says some things Paul says are hard to understand. So, I mean, there is a place for hard understanding. But in, in actuality, here's a place where Greek grammarians go, we're not sure. We're not quite sure. Should it be beloved in God or beloved by God? Oh, Christianity's ruined now. <laughs> it's like, well. It's, an, it's not a deal breaker either way. Is it beloved in God or beloved by God? Well, we can prove uh, really either one in other places. The easy way to translate it, because it helps everybody understand, would be beloved by God. Because I get that. I believe I know what it means beloved be loved by someone. Beloved in someone, I do kind of the you know Scooby-Doo head turn. What beloved in? Nine times out of ten, experts would say, go for the hard rendering. Language people. Beloved in God the Father. I don't really know what that means. But we might get a little bit of help. It's it's, it's personal. Yes, he does love us, by the way, beloved by God, but this is more. It's beloved in God. There's something personal that's intense. It's, It's inseparable from him. It's more personal. And so I think even though we're going through this grammar thing and talking about hard language, maybe it's worth it if we understand that being loved by God is awesome. The Bible teaches that. But maybe it's more awesomer than we realize. Maybe then we can comprehend. It's to be loved in God the Father, inseparable from Him in a unique and extraordinary kind of way. So sometimes the harder rendering makes for harder reading, but maybe can cause us to have a little more time for pause and say, Beloved in God the Father, inseparable from Him. I'll contend for that. This is good. This is very good. Belonging, personal, especially personal. Today's the grammar day. Sorry about that. It's also in the perfect tense. One expert says this. The intent of the perfect tense of the participle is probably to stress the present reality of the love. God loved us and sent His Son for us. Good? Really good. And now he's talking about something that's connected to that historical gospel love. He loved us, but we are we are beloved of God as a result of that and we're intimately associated and it's not only the historic past. It's something that's still a reality now. Gospel benefits. I'd contend for that. It's richer than we realize. It's better than we realize. I wrote this, loved and remaining loved without ceasing to be loved, personally by God, comprehensively by God. It's my best take. Then let's move on to another aspect of this. still number two, though. The called are kept for Jesus Christ. Kept for Jesus Christ. It's another fun word to look at, just the way it's used in different places, because it's used negatively and positively. It's, it's used for imprisoned. <laughs> okay. I think it helps us to appreciate it. Sometimes in the New Testament it uses this word kept for people who have broken the law, and they're, they're imprisoned by guards. They're kept under lock and key, we might say but it's used positively as it no doubt is here. We're kept. We're protected. We're safe. Secure. It's great. Positive. Some translations say kept. By Jesus Christ. I get that. I understand that. That's like Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25. We're kept by Jesus Christ because he always lives to make intercession for us. He's always our advocate. He always represents us as if God needed, the Father needed reminding. If he did, he would remind him. But he doesn't need reminding. A harder way to understand it, as other translations put it, the one I'm preaching from today, is kept for Jesus Christ. Again, the best grammarians I read and know would say, go with the harder. Even though it's harder for people to understand, it's probably the right way to understand it. Kept for Jesus Christ. Yes, it's true we're kept by Jesus Christ, but we're also kept for Jesus Christ. The idea is the end is in view. And Jude definitely has an emphasis on the end. Okay, again, you're afraid Should I contend? Should I be bold? Or should I not contend? Should I not be bold? There's this idea that you are called, you're beloved in God, and you will be because you are kept for Jesus Christ. Okay then. it's good. See, all of this is designed, even though it's very um, much of an implication, even though he doesn't unpack it all at the beginning, no doubt the reason he's choosing these words is is so that we can say, gospel does this stuff. Yeah, it's gospel shorthand. Contending is worth it. It's absolutely worth it. We're protected. We're protected not only by Jesus, we're protected for Jesus. Hopefully you're seeing that the triune God is for us. And by the way, that's totally different, right? Based upon what he has done, he's for us. That sets Christianity apart from every religion. Good gospel news based upon what God does. You know, I, got, I have to contend for that. I've got to fight for that. For my sake, for the sake of my children, for the sake of my friends, for the sake of the people I don't know, for the sake of my enemies. I've got to contend for that. Kept for Jesus Christ. Well, we don't, can't really know the future. We don't really know what's going to happen. Yeah, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to return. Kept for Him to the end. It's awesome. Motivating. That's not all. I, I do like verse 2 when he says, May peace, mercy, and love be multiplied to you. There's this, there's this prayer request. Well, those are all things that are true because of the gospel. Those are all realities. I mean, mercy has already come to us in Christ because we've been reconciled. Peace, uh, perfect, ultimate shalom has already come to us. We've been reconciled to God, Romans 5. And love has already come to us because of Christ. Those are those are all done. But isn't it interesting that, that he, he just asks for more? And by the way, it's a prayer request that will... That'll come true because those things have already actually been done. He's asking for ongoing experience of these things. It's worth contending for. Again, who else could say that? Okay, let's move on and we can do this easy because we've already covered the ground. Number three, third motivator for contending is the security that the gospel brings. So we looked at the benefits of the Gospel Wow, this is worth fighting for and now when we're maybe afraid and I've already kind of gone there because I couldn't help myself so we'll make this one really fast but when you're afraid to speak up because it might mean physical danger or it might mean family danger it might mean being ostracized it might be, mean being criticized it might mean who knows what danger to you emotional danger whatever kind and you might not want to go there, you've got to remember that the gospel brings security. And we've already seen it. We've already seen that security comes, those who are called, effectually called, beloved, it's not maybe someday loved, no, beloved in God the Father, inseparable from Him, and kept, again, uh, not maybe, but kept for Jesus Christ. Those are all certainties. Those are all absolutes. Those are, are, are all securities. And what do they do? They're meant, in the context of Jude, to fan the flame of courage. Bringing the oxygen in to stoke the flame, to fan the flame. I can do this. I'm not afraid. No matter what's going to happen to me, I can do this because ultimately, ultimately nothing can harm me and so I'm going to be bold because I'm kept. I'm beloved. I'm called of God. I can be bold and courageous. I can do it. I can focus on it as the old song goes safe and secure from all alarms. Safe and secure from all alarms. Because you know God is for us no matter what. Assurance brings boldness. He doesn't promise them happiness. He doesn't promise them that they'll live forever. He doesn't promise that they'll be rich. But they're called of God, beloved in the Father, kept for Jesus Christ. Even there, we've got a futuristic kind of look. Okay, I can be bold. And I want to say to you, that that, that's the source of your boldness. If you can remember and meditate upon and be reminded by people like me and others about these great certainties that are ours in Christ that transcend time, that transcend culture. You can be bold. You'll live for what matters ultimately in the end. and You can be a a contender. The other day I was waiting for a YouTube video to pull up. And the the obligatory ad comes up. It's so great when they don't come up. And there comes the ad. and, And sometimes... You know, they stop on their own. Sometimes you have to push skip in two seconds or whatever it is. And so I'm watching the video. And for whatever reason, it got my attention. And before you know it, it's playing in the background. And I watched, you know, a good part of the ad. I have no idea why they targeted me for this ad. Maybe I was Google searching security and things like that. I don't know. But it was for a firm that you can contract with. It's a security firm. uh, And they provide this insurance policy. Whether it was legit or not, I don't know, but they sure made it look legit. So if you're going to go work or travel for work or for leisure uh, in high-risk countries, high-risk places, territories, lands, regions, you contract with the company and they've got these people all around and they were talking about helicopter rescues and all the different kind of rescues that they've done. And again, it may have been completely bogus, but it seems super legit. And I was like, that is cool. That is super cool. It makes me want to go to a dangerous place just so I can get such a policy, you know, and have the card in my wallet. It's like, this this is cool. But if you think about it, if you were in the kind of work where you needed to go to a dangerous kind of place and you could have a legitimate kind of insurance security policy like that, you know, nothing is certain, but it would free you up to not be totally consumed about your safety so that you could do your job. That's the idea anyway. Called. Kept. Beloved. Ultimate security ultimate security for the believer and we are freed up to do our job and part of our job is contending fearless it's how we can be it's how we can be when it comes to application obviously there's application for Omaha Bible Church We're not a big, huge church with lots of worldwide influence, but we want to do our part as a church, what God has called us to do. We want to be earnestly contending for the faith. And these things will help motivate us to earnestly contend for the faith. For you as an individual Christian, in your sphere of influence, in your sphere of life, you want to be a contender for the genuine gospel, for the faith that has been once and for all delivered to the saints. God using you in your sphere you might be tempted to think, well, that's not a very significant sphere. So we'll, we'll end on this. You might think that's a good job for Pat. He should do that. Maybe other pastors. Things we don't like to do, we give to the interns. Uh, <laughs> that's for mature Christians. It's not for me. I just want to remind you as we're concluding that Jude is writing to Christians, he's not writing to pastors. He's writing to Christians, not just old Christians, just Christians like us. I heard an interesting story this past week about a woman who was a meter reader. Do they still do that? I think they still do sometimes. They complain about our bushes being over the little window in the basement. But anyway, she was a meter reader in Montana in the 80s. Maybe you've heard the story. So she would walk around and read the the meters and As she went around to read the meters, she noticed something strange, and what she noticed was how many people were home during the day. The more she looked into it, I'm sure I won't get the details right, her name is Gayla Benefield, I'll at least get that right. She looked into it more and more, and more and more of those people were on oxygen. Here are all these people that don't look like they're old enough to be retired, but they're at home. Hmm. Not only that, they're on oxygen. Hmm. More and more research looking into into things. There's some sort of asbestos plant in the town. These people all have cancer. They're dying from cancer way, way, way too young. So she wants to do something about it because that would be good, right? Not if you're the source of the money, so you try to pay her off. Nobody wants to listen to this lady. Nobody wants to upset the apple cart. No one wants to offend, right? And so here's this lady that makes a fuss over it, and makes a big enough deal over it that eventually it gets stopped. What was interesting about the story was a reporter or a writer or someone wanted to go and meet her and hear her story. And that someone who wanted to go meet her wanted to bring their teenage child to go and meet her. To which the teenage child, maybe 13 years old if I recall, said, why would we want to go meet this ordinary lady? Nothing special. No big deal. Why do I have to go? The mother's response was, that's exactly why I want you to go and meet her. Because she's just like us. Nothing special, just ordinary. And she was brave and made a huge difference. We're a bunch of ordinary Christians in Omaha, Nebraska, doing ordinary things, living ordinary lives. Some of you are super special, but most of us are just like ordinary. But I want you, by God's help, according to the power of the Spirit, to leave Omaha Bible Church today knowing that you've been called by God as a Christian to earnestly contend for the faith. And to do that. And to do that for His glory, for His honor, for your good, and for the good of other people. And to do so bravely. Father, thank You for this morning. Thank You for the fact that Your grace is sufficient for us. I pray for those who who love to fight, that they would have that um, tempered. I pray for those who would never, ever, ever want to have a conflict, uh, that you you might help them to see the benefits, that you might help us to be earnest in what we've been called to do, that we might love you and love our neighbor so that we would want to tell them the truth about Jesus, and we would want to see that truth protected as well. We don't know what the future holds for us, But we know that you do, and we know that we will be kept for Christ. We are kept for Him, and we're so thankful for that. In Jesus' name, amen.